Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hubscale podcast. This week's amazing guest is Bradley Pastor, CRO at Guard Square. Bradley, it's great to have you on today. Absolutely. Thank you, Connor. Happy to be here. Great. Um, I guess for everyone who doesn't know who you are, can you give a little bit more of an introduction on yourself? Absolutely. So I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Guard Square. We are a Belgium headquartered company focusing on mobile application protection. So what that means is we help mobile apps protect against things like reverse engineering, tampering, and help make your mobile application smaller, self-defending, and actually run faster. So we focus on a variety variety of customers. So it's typically major banks, technology companies, e-commerce, and we're fortunate that we're market leaders in that space. So, you know, I've been here for a little over 15 months, I think heading into my 16th month here. Wow. That sounds awesome. So just getting straight into it realistically now, you've got an amazing career so far, but so before it all, what actually made you get into cybersecurity? So it's, it's an interesting answer because I didn't necessarily focus and say, oh, I want to be in security or I want to focus on cybersecurity. My background long time ago started in when I was in sales, then I was a solution engineer, sales engineer was in the content management collaboration space. That eventually evolved into doing regulatory around that content having an understanding of the regulatory moved me into the governance risk and compliance space or GRC space that moved me into other risk area spaces. And then coming out of that risk space, uh, I looked at, you know, what was the marketplace, where were things heading and cybersecurity and security is an area where organizations continue to spend money on. And what I like about what we do is the way I describe it. It's the intersection between security. So we absolutely help companies provide mobile application protection and security but it's also on the dev side. So for me, heading into that space and where we're at, it really resonated the intersection, excuse me, between that two, right? So DevOps and security. No, awesome. No, thank you for clearing that up now. Obviously, CRO Guard Square coming up to, what was it again, for 18 months? Uh, So I started January of last year. So it's pretty easy to remember because if you start at the beginning of the year, you know, you got the year through. So I'm heading into... Uh, my sixth quarter here at yeah. Square. Perfect. And um, being the CRO, I bet that's quite stressful and uh, quite challenging, but better, quite reward rewarding role. But what actually inspired you to pursue a career as a CRO? So back when I started and I was a sales engineer, as with a lot of sales engineers, you look and you say, well, gee, all the, all the salespeople do is closed deals based upon all my hard work as a solution engineer, right? And I said, I want to move into sales. And I moved into sales and I realized that wasn't the case. Salespeople actually do quite a bit of work. And as I started working in sales, being an individual contributor, it really dawned on me that part of what I enjoy doing is being engaged in those broader conversations, having a sense of engagement and strategy, setting a broader vision. And that led me to actually, randomly enough, going back into sales engineering, being a director of sales engineering, I was able to parlay my technical selling with my selling to move into alliances, that area. And every time and every step along the way, 
uh, I had sort of a natural leaning towards helping the team and the individuals, the people I'm working with get better and grow. And if you have a focus on doing that and helping other people be successful and wanting the company to be successful, I believe that moves you towards a natural path of looking towards leadership positions. So if you're on the revenue side of the house, the natural path for revenue leaders is to move into a CRO position or a chief sales officer position. So it wasn't as if I woke up again and said, oh, I want to be a CRO or that's where I need to be. I, I view it as it was a natural progression of career development. Oh, awesome. And I'm guessing it's uh, uh, quite challenging. So realistically, what are some of the main challenges you've actually faced being a CRO and how have you actually overcome some of them or all of them? Well, I would say we never really fully overcome all the challenges, right? So it's myself and everything that we do, I would say, is continued work in progress. Some of the challenges that we have anyone in the CRO role or anyone in a chief sales officer role is you your primary team is largely the executive team. And that, I believe, is misunderstood. So when you're managing your director level, your manager level, you're really focusing on your core team. But as you move up higher in the organization, you're responsible for your aspect of the company and how your aspect and your role integrates with the other aspects of the company, right? So it could be finance, it could be support, it could be engineering, it could be development, uh, it could be marketing, all of those things. And so when you when you think about what you're doing, it's a very easy mistake to make. And I say easy because you're like, oh, I'm chief revenue, so I'm going to focus downward. I'm going to focus on those teams. So you have to have visibility into that team, but then you also need to take a longer, broader view and approach because you're responsible for all of revenue and how that impacts and how that interplays and how that views in. So I'd say the challenge is largely maintaining that balance, right? You can't be so ethereal in the clouds, in the ivory tower, whatever, however you can look at it to say, well, okay, those are, that's in the weeds, but you also need to be operational where you need to understand what's the impact and how you focus on that. And that in addition to all the standard challenges of balancing life, balancing work, making the number, understanding where the number is going, motivating people, uh, hiring, retaining, recruiting, development, all of those things, which I think any of us do. Yeah, no, perfect. Thank you for that. No, it sounds, that's some great words of wisdom. So realistically, what are some of the strategies you've actually had to implement to actually increase revenue at Gasware? So, you know, let me, so if I, if I step back and I look at it, I think that question applies to any, any role anywhere inside the company. And that's not specific just to guard square. It's been any organization I've, I've worked at. So what I really try to do is understand and make sure that the value we provide is consistent with what the customer is looking for. Okay. So if you keep your focus on that and view everything from the buyer's perspective, I would say that is, it's it's not the easiest way. There's nothing easy, but it certainly is the most straightforward way to approach that. And I've certainly worked at a lot of great companies and worked with excellent teams and the teams and the salespeople that are the most successful in terms of driving revenue are the ones that focus around understanding the customer need. And when you think about revenue, there's really two aspects of it. There's your bookings, but then there's your revenue, your current revenue, which is your install base, your customers, all of that. So if a customer has a support issue coming to you, they're not really necessarily concerned and focused around what your opinion is. They have a problem that needs to be solved, right? Yeah. So if you look at it from what, okay, what are they trying to do? What is their outcomes? How can they 
achieve what they need to do as a business, that again has that customer perspective in it. And there might be times that what they want to do is not aligned with you, what you have as a solution. And you know, that could be okay. It may not be okay, but you have to figure it out. So my guidance for anyone in terms of how you increase revenue, it's not about, oh, I'm going to hire more reps. It's not about doing at scale outreach. It's not about having marketing run more programs. All of those things have their place. It really is about helping focus down on if I was the customer, what is it that I need to be successful and understanding who those people are and then trying to engage and have that outreach to them. Sounds very simple. In reality, it's actually pretty hard to implement. No, no, it sounds simple and it's quite a smart way of looking at it. Like you say, get it, take it from the customer's perspective. It's all you're going to do is realistically win and please the customers. And that's all you need to do is realistically, don't you? And right. with that being said, how have you actually been able to increase, obviously, looking from the customer perspective, but realistically increase customer loyalty and engagement? Is it just carrying on just looking from that side? Well, the I would say the answer is very similar to the answer in terms of driving revenue. And if you understand and have a clear value prop in terms of what you do, where you focus, how you solve those problems, then that's how you're going to drive the loyalty. And you're going to drive the loyalty by delivering on your promise. And so if we say that we help companies uh, secure their mobile app and provide the best level of mobile application protection and security, then the promise you're making to people is to deliver on that. And so if I look back at any of the other companies I work for, whether it's we're going to help you scale your governance risk program, we're going to help you have the best compliance platform, we're going to help you have the best collaboration platform. It's very easy for you to say that. And I'm sure even where you live, there's probably lots of takeaways where you walk by and they have the best pizza, they have the best this, they have the best fish and chips. You go, you go really, this is just so bad. It is just not good. So it's really easy for a company to say, we have the best, right? Yeah. But it's more important for your customers to say that. And when you think about your customers saying that, there's the level two, which is, what are you doing to drive and adopt more customers? So I think when you think about growing revenue, there's a gap between we have our customers that we service and it's awesome. But then if we grow and expand, do we run the risk of losing those customers? And what does that mean? So if you're a, if you're a takeaway and you do, you know, here it's coffee or, or whatever, and you're now going to have breakfast sandwiches, like, okay, you might upset the people of coffees and you might uh, delay their ability to get coffees scenario going to deliver sandwiches. My answer to that would be is if you can deliver sandwiches and still provide the same level of experience around the other aspects that you're doing, then you're in a good position. What happens a lot of times is that companies expand and give another offering and that degradates or reduces the quality of their primary core offering, right? So you wind up saying, oh, we're going to grow and we're going to bring all these people on, but then you lose your, your current install, you negatively impact your new customers, and then no one's happy. And that's not a good scenario to be in around it. No, 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 it's definitely not a, a good scenario to be in at all. No, I completely agree there, but no, thank you for that. And with that being said, how do you actually identify and exploit new opportunities for revenue growth? Right. Um, so there's a lot of market research. There's a lot of areas that you can look at going. One is again, looking back at the customer base and trying to figure out where where are we leading into? So AI tools are very sexy now and you can't 
look at any LinkedIn post or any of the news posts where it's like, oh my God, you know, whatever solution is going to solve this. And I think it's very easy to be drawn towards those shiny objects. Yeah. But when you're looking at new opportunities for revenue growth, it's how do you expand upon your core capabilities? So maybe an opportunity for revenue growth for any company is you're going to continue delivering what you deliver, but you're going to deliver it a better quality experience. Maybe the user experience is going to be better. Maybe the user interface is going to be better. Maybe it's something where you go back and I've had success at other companies where we look at uh, support tickets and yes, there's an opportunity for future requests. A lot of people don't do that. So, but if you go back and you look at support tickets, maybe there's a recurring theme in your support tickets that indicates, oh, uh, this problem could be solved if we had this, right? And that's viewed as a bug maybe, but it's actually not a bug, it's a feature request. So if you go back and you look at what is your interaction with your customers, that may give you indication of where, where you want to head, where there are other opportunities for revenue growth inside there. And then ultimately, if you think about revenue growth from upsell or cross-sell or versus net new, they're going to have different needs and they're going to be at different points in terms of the buyer journey and that life cycle around it. So if you're able to get and engage them early on, understand what their needs are, understand where they're growing, then that's going to give you insights and perspective of where people are heading. All that said, you know, I think about two things. So, you know, Steve Jobs talks a lot about, you know, uh, when he talked about the iPhone initially, you know, if he asked people, no one wanted to be able to have cameras and music and everything on your phone, right? The iPhone never would have happened. Or the other quote that people kick around is if Henry Ford asked people what they wanted, you know, they would have wanted a faster horse, right? They never would have wanted a car. So there is this aspect of it, which is, and I've been lucky the companies I've worked at where I've worked with great product people who have those insights and have those perspectives from a technical thing. And then they balance between people like me on the revenue side, right? Oh, we need this, we need this. And they go, well, actually, they don't need that, right? It's a small segment of your customers that need that. So we could spend a lot of work to solve and address the need for 10% of our customers. But actually, if we had this other thing, then we have address and open it up to 80%, right? We can go from there. So it's, um, if I knew the answer, like <laughs> empirically or very specifically around your question, then uh, you know it'd be an easy one to solve, but these are really sort of the hard topics around how do we how do we achieve and how do we grow for any company? Yeah, definitely. No, no, thank you for that. And um, how do you actually measure the success? Obviously, you'll have initiatives. How do you actually measure the success of revenue initiatives? So, um, the the easy way, uh, and again, all my answers for easy way have like a four-part reply you need to define clear kpis around what that is so for anything that you're going to define for any metric you needed to, to look at first the outcome of that and i would say if you don't have an outcome established then you shouldn't be doing it so it would be challenging for me to say o'connor it's exactly this right like you you need to have a 3x or 5x and then if you think about any blogs around pipeline or sales quota coverage and those things, people have very clear guidance on it. it has to be this. And I would say is the answer doesn't have to be that. What it needs to be is what's good and what's aligned and appropriate for your business. So you need to have some semblance of data and be able to look at it. If you don't have any data around figuring out what the outcomes would be, then you should make a good hypothesis around, all right, what's our expectation? So you're going to allocate time. You're going to allocate resources. You're going to allocate people's energy. 
And time and, and people is really the most significant out of any of those things. So if I'm going to ask you, Connor, to, hey, I need you to go spend a week on this. And if you go, okay, I'll spend a week on this, but what do you want me to do out of it? And I go, well, I don't know. I just want you to like goof around and do this. You're going to be very frustrated. I'm going to be very frustrated. And if you take that as a company and you did that at scale, so now you have to go talk with other people. You have to work with other departments. What's all the drug on that? If anyone raised their hand and said, okay, great, that's fine. What's the outcome? And if you don't have an answer, that's, that's not a good way to start. So the answer might be, we don't know, and we want to test a hypothesis. And that's okay, but you need yeah. to define that up front, right? We have, every place I've ever worked, there's always been, uh, and if I think back to other companies, we had, we started seeing leads come in that were well outside our ICP, so our ideal customer profile. And it just mm -hmm. was so bizarre. You look and you go, there's no way we're ever going to close this. But we're like, okay, if everyone's okay with this, let's go chase it. And we were winning those opportunities at a higher percentage rate and more of them were coming in. And I look back on that time and say, if we took our core point of view and focused it tightly around our ICP and didn't allow one of our salespeople to do it, we would have missed a tremendous market opportunity. But it wasn't enough early on to take the entire sales organization, the entire product management team and, and product marketing and reshift around what we're doing. What we said was, we have our best rep. Who I have a very high degree of confidence that they're going to close the deal guy's name was Mark and said, you can go and chase this deal and we'll see what happens. And then we also made it very clear to him that if you don't close a deal, like it's, you've lost time, which is an issue, right? But it's not going to be a mark on you. No one's going to be like, ah, you're terrible because you lost us. We were all on board with it. And he won the deal. And you're like, mm, geez, okay. Like how'd you win the deal? Yeah. Right. And what we found out was that there were other things that were happening that we were not aware of because we were focused on our ICP which again, isn't a bad thing, but you need to look and say, what else is going on out there? It's a really challenging thing to do. So I think you need to have a open and transparent culture as a company where you can have these conversations. So you can say, I have an idea that might be dumb. Like, what do you think? Right. And then if someone says, okay, fine. Then the next question is, how are we going to measure it? Right. That's quite fascinating. Obviously, Mark, one of your best sales reps, closing a deal out of ICP. I bet you was a bit taken back a bit before when that happened. That's quite quite interesting. It, it's surprising with any of these things, right? Yeah. So if you think about if you think about what you all do, I'm sure even if it's not a formal playbook that's created, there's something where if you brought on board a new employee, you'd say, "This is what we do, and this is yeah. where we focus." And what I like hiring junior people right out of university, anything like that. And what I call it is there's the, um, the freedom of untrained people. I don't know if that's actually a great phrase, but basically what I mean is they don't know it's a dumb question to ask prospects and yeah. they're fearless. So you get someone who like myself or anyone who's been doing a while, like, oh, don't ask them that. You won't get an answer. And, and there's <laughs> this interesting curve where when you onboard new employees who've never done any of this before, they have this period of bump up where they're actually pretty successful early on because they don't know. And it was like, well, I don't know. I just said, like, how do you buy this? Right. And for, oh my God, you can't ask them that. You need to ask them this other thing. And they're successful because they just go. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that makes total sense. It is awesome. And yeah, it does happen. What advice can you give to the other executives on how to effectively manage the sales team, like other sales executives? Um, so, Especially yours is quite junior as well. So that must be a bit of a different challenge the whole end when you do come in freshly out of college or university. 
Right. We do have, we do have a couple more senior people and I've managed yeah. inside teams. I've managed outside teams. I've managed fully remote teams. I mean, so the, the gamut in terms of predominantly my teams have been relatively small given the size and scale of the companies or even when I worked for Bloomberg and I ran a team, there was a small team inside of Bloomberg. Right. Yeah. So the, what you need to have is, you know, we've touched on this already a couple of points along the way is clear expectations and definitions for the team. And a lot of people come armed with their spreadsheet and here's what it is and here's how you set that up and, and nothing in spreadsheets. But what you really have to do is you have to figure out how you can manage and drive those things effectively and what's the value and what are the outcomes of those behaviors and actions that you're going to have. And then there is cultural aspects that you have inside of it. So my prior company and my current company, there's international teams. So organizations have cultural differences inside it. There's scale in terms of people's learning ability inside of there. At one time, you can look at it and say, well, comp plans drive behavior. So if you have a structured comp plan and people are focusing on a certain set of behaviors, but that's not aligned with the comp plan, then there's a mismatch and people aren't focusing inside of it. So the what's your motion? Are you an outbound motion? Are you an inbound motion? So the more that you can understand and really frame out what it is that we do, how do we sell, how we engage, how do you document it? you know, and those things now are called sales playbooks, then the more straightforward is to define to the team, what's the appropriate set of behaviors that you're supposed to have. So I would say you need to start with that, mm -hmm. define what it is, define the outcomes, define the expectations, and actually articulate that out to the team. And a lot of times people make assumptions that if everyone knows what they're supposed to do and everyone knows how they're supposed to be measured and everyone knows where the information is. And in most organizations, that answer is not correct. So you need to spend a lot of time working on that. And I would say you need to even go one layer deeper quite often to, um, I'll pause for a second. So you've heard people talk about where they have different learning styles, right? Some people are visual, some people are tactile, some people are auditory. Um, so, you know, if you think about enabling and training the sales team, you almost need to touch those things the same way. So, I've used technologies like Gong before. We use it here. We, you know, you spend a lot of time, you should spend time role-playing all those other aspects to get to the point where those behaviors come ingrained inside of it. Doesn't just have to be in your current role. This could be what are some of the biggest success and also some of the biggest challenges you've actually overcome. Um, biggest success. So I've had a lot of success as an individual contributor, which was fun. You know, I've um, you've gone on President's Club trips and won awards and all those things, and that's that's always exciting. I'd say one of my biggest successes as a leader is I really enjoy seeing people get professional growth and development. So there are people I've hired at other companies as individual contributors who move up to a management position. There are people who I've been able to promote and grow. So when you see people having families, buying houses, getting their career development, that that's awesome, right? Because you're able to help change, I believe a good manager, a good teammate, if you're able to help change the trajectory of someone's career, that's, I mean, that's, that's why you're in leadership in my mind around there. So if you and I worked together and you were an SDR for me or a BDR, and I was able to promote you to an AE and you're an AE and you're able to, so in the US, I know you're not in the US, but in the US, a lot of people have student loan debt. You're able to pay off your student loan debt because you were selling a lot and making a lot of money. And you're able to now grow yourself personally and able to achieve things you want. Like that's huge, right? Yeah. 
So yes, I have an obligation to the company and, and I have personal obligations and needs and things like that that I do, but all that's good and well. So if you're not making sure your team can develop, your team can grow, I don't know, like, what are you doing? Right. So I'd say my personal success has come from there. In terms of the other side, um, you know, I've been part of it's it's I wouldn't say it's funny, but I I was never let go until I moved into a management position. So, you know, as I see, I was always, always afraid, like, oh my God, I'm not gonna hit my number, I'm gonna get let go. And I was constantly freaked out about that. It, it never happened. And then you move into a nice uh, management role and early on you're like, oh well, I'm the management, like now I'm you know, aware of it. It, and it's actually not been that case. Uh, so it's something I think if people are looking, they aspire to that role, that is a different aspect in terms of it, right? So it's something that you need to be aware of, but you certainly can't let that control in terms of your behavior. I believe you have to show up. You have to do, you know, you have multiple teams. So what's best for the executive team or leadership team that you work with? How do you drive and growth change inside the company? And then you also have responsibility. And I talk about this with all my sales teams, like what we do helps everyone else in the company achieve what they do, right? So a lot of times people think, well, I'm a salesperson. I'm going to focus on myself and what I do. And I believe that's just completely the wrong way to look at it. If the sales team is selling, if you're able to grow the business, if we're able to continue to get renewals, then everyone else inside the company is able to achieve their goals, right? And that's when you really take a pause and step back at like, wow, that's a huge obligation could be viewed as a burden. I think it's a great gift because we're able to help everyone else inside the organization achieve what they want. Right. We sell a lot of cool stuff. Developers get to create more stuff and get it right. You're able to grow the company. You're able to do all those things. You're able to help everyone else achieve. Uh, hopefully at some point you get a good return for the investors that are part of it. Right. Like everyone does well inside yeah. there and you need to have that focus in terms of what you do. When you've all, like I said, when you've all got that vision behind yourselves, it's, it makes it a lot more easier to drive it all together when you're all on that same direction. You've all got that same investment in mind. It does make work a lot easier, even through them good times and then bad times especially. Now, Guard Square, and obviously you've done this quite a while now, international teams, I bet that is quite a challenge. What are actually some of the challenges leaders are in your past or experience is it is it leading international teams? Yeah, there's there's a lot there. Uh, there's still in somewhat similar. They're the same as running domestic teams. So I mean, when I've managed teams across the U.S., there's different cultural differences inside the U.S. and different time zones. Going back, gosh, almost twenty years when I worked at HP, I was part of an international team that spanned, you know, worldwide. So we had team members in Asia Pac, and what we would do is we would rotate the team call. So at some point, someone was always waking up at like three in the morning for a team call. And it just seemed to be the most equitable way of doing it. That was my first experience in terms of doing that. And then I experienced working at Autonomy, which was a London-based company, and then Bloomberg had international presence as well. And what I found was where I tend to go off the rails in, in sort of a, a way that I could work better on is there is a lot of euphemisms, metaphors, saying, slang, whatever, that inside your own locale you might use. And this might come across in Slack or an email. And really, those conversations will go bad really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier to pick up the phone. And when we're in the environment we're in, where everything's a Zoom meeting or this or that, those opportunities become more challenging. 
right? So people have a tendency to defer to something like a Slack or a chat versus being able to get on the phone and talk. So what I've learned, and this is a continued work in progress, is making sure that the way I communicate, the way I engage is clear, it's explicit, doesn't always work, and that you're understanding, trying to really understand the cultural differences when I interact and work with them. So it's, you know, it's, it's look, it's something that, that needs to be worked on. So I work for German companies, work for Belgian company now, and all of them have their own flavors of how they do everything. And that's going to be different from the U.S. companies. Yeah. So, you know, my, my advice is you, know, you should meet people in the middle, which means how do they, how do they work? How do they do those things? But I also want to caution that it's not always about how the individual, right? We all still work for a company and the company has this culture and the company has this thing. So, you know, it's, it's clear and, and where I work now and where I've worked in the past, I've been fortunate where there's a clear expectation around company vision, company vision, uh, excuse me, vision statement. So if you understand what the vision of the company is, you understand what the mission is, you understand what the expectations are, those things become easier around them, right? And people then understand. So if I think about um, how long has it been? I don't know, 15 plus years when I worked at Autonomy London Company, very rigid, very clear, this is exactly the way it was. So while you're working culturally, and yes, there is a difference between the UK and the US culturally, you understood what it was because the organization was very clear about how they engage, right? So it was, while you might sort of step in areas where that wasn't as clear, there at least was an expectation. So it's um, it's a privilege to be able to work with different cultures and different teams. And I learned from the people who are on my team and organization, how they interact and work all the time. And you know, one of the things I really like about it is intellectually, it's always stimulating. You know, because I can't take it for granted when I communicate or I work or I interact or I send an email or anything like that, that, okay, did I really hit all the points, right? And did I get in there? Yeah, no, so. no, definitely. I bet that is a quite stimulating, like you say. It's different cultures. It's come, come quite challenging. So no, thank you for giving that a bit of advice and a bit of wisdom, obviously, with your experience, especially with everything from past. But... um. What strategies can leaders use to uh, motivate their international team members? Like say, obviously, different cultures, different time zones. Like we work remote as Hubscale, and it's sometimes quite challenging to all be on the same page and keep motivated when we all do work remote. It's, so how do you actually do that with your team? And how have you done that in the past? Sure. Uh, so when... The way that I, I like to believe that we remain motivated and the way that we stay on top of that is ultimately understanding what are the individual motivations around people. So I could say to folks all the time, like, we're going to hit our number and you're going to make a lot of money. But that in and of itself isn't necessarily a motivator. So what I, I try to do is understand what are those individual motivators that if they do the appropriate behavior, it drives that outcome. So for example, maybe someone wants to buy a house and they're a salesperson. So if they want to buy a house, okay, what do they need to do that? Well, I need to save money for a down payment. Okay, how much do you need to save? I need to save X. All right, well, you make this much money a year based upon commissions. And if you do these sets of behaviors, you should be able to get that outcome. You should be able to do it. So 
Well, I had someone who worked for me who loves cycling. And there is a very particular type of bicycle called a gravel bicycle. And it's sort of like a combination between a road bike and a mountain bike. And she just really, really wanted one. So instead of looking at her bookings, what we did is we framed the conversation around everything she closed was a piece of the bike she was buying. So the motivation wasn't like, yay, let's do all this stuff for the company. And that's important and it's good. And the company has a mission. Talked a lot about that. But how do you take that mission and boil it down to what to what someone means for them individually? So this was a really great example. We're able to look at it and say like, oh, you closed, you closed another wheel on your bike. You closed this, you closed that. And it became very real. So they were able to see a linkage between that and the outcome that they have. We run the risk, of course, if someone goes, I don't like, I don't care. Like there's nothing, you know, or whatever. I just, and then, then there's just a broader different issue, right? There could be misalignment yeah. in terms of the person's role. It could be misalignment things. Maybe they want to go and skill and do development. And I spend a lot of time when I interview people around, like, what do you want to get out of it? And people say, I, I ultimately want to be in a leadership position. And this is like first job out of college, right? They're like, I want your job. I'm like, okay. How do you think you're going to get there? And when you start unpacking it, they do all these things. And what I'll say to people is you get to work in a great company with great people, a stable environment, growing space. Here's all the things you're going to learn. But here's all the things, the 10 things that we're going to expect from you. Yeah. And if you do those things, then we can get these out of there. So I try to set the expectations again, early up front what that. And people go through their ups and downs around it. And a great guidance I got, geez, this was a long time ago was, you know, don't, if you break, if you set up your motivation on the goal, you'll never hit that, right? The goal is I want to be whatever. What you want to do is you want to set your outcomes or your motivation on those things to get you to it, right? So, I'm not going to do my cold calling and do my 50 calls a day and expect to get a meeting. What I'm going to do is my goal and objective is the 50 calls. So at the end of the day, I can control that. I can control exactly my 50 calls. I can't necessarily control if anyone picks up. I can't control whether those are the correct phone numbers. I can't control whether someone has a bad day or someone has a positive day. So if you get in that habit and that routine, and then you align the motivation to those things, then they'll get to where you need them to be. Right. So at the end of my day today, here's the four or five things I did. I updated Salesforce. No one likes to do. I did my 50 calls. Could be good. Could be bad. I sent out my hundred prospecting emails and I researched my 10 accounts. So at the end of that day, I know I've achieved these things. And then you can celebrate if there's an additional outcome out of it. Right. But if you wait and you say, I'm going to judge my worth, my day, my outcome on that meeting that got set up or that deal that gets closed, you're, you're in for a really miserable long career. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, that, no that's where I would look at it. To be fair, yeah, that is this way I how I keep myself self motivated working remotely. You've just got to focus on the stuff you can control, and the outcomes will be the outcomes, and that's the way like you do it. Just focus on your KPIs. What I set myself, and it it makes it a bit more fun and exciting to do because you've got something to track, and it also makes makes it a lot easier and more enjoyable and to keep motivated because you've got something to focus on. Which you no, know, thank you for clearing exactly. that up. Yeah, people people say work the pro work the process. Yeah, yeah. You've got you always get big up, big end goal and vision. Like say, come out straight out of college and want your job. Yes, that's great to have that. But you've got to do everything in between. You've got to actually take the action and get the work done before you even get anywhere near there. And maybe along that path, you realize I don't want to do that. Yeah, like you say, right, you, so you, you, 
Yeah, no, no, definitely. Like I say, you've been IC leadership manager and obviously international manager as well, leadership. It's three different roles. And I bet, I don't know from when you were in IC, is this somewhat what you actually pursued? I don't know, right? I mean, I, I went to university, I did my undergrad, I stayed on, did master's work. I wound up doing tech support at a company. I moved into sales engineering. I The way I describe it to people is my career wasn't a straight line. It was ziggy zaggy, right? So there were opportunities. I worked for really some great people who helped encourage me and redirect me. And, you know, I wound up where I am. And uh, every day, I'm just very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do that. Every role, every responsibility I've ever done has its own sets and challenges going back to even working tech support, right? There's never been anything where I've been like, oh, just, yeah, this is so easy and I can phone it in. But I look in terms of, and, and that's not even what I would want, right? And that's fine. Some people like that. So I, I look in terms of what's the challenges, where are we going, where we're heading. And, you know, that that for me is uh, is exciting and where the journey heads and continues. You know, again, I don't know. That's focusing on the goal, right? Not the uh, not the day to day. So inside of there. Yeah. No. Thank you for that. No, I really do appreciate that. And now, throughout your career, you've had, yeah, you've had a fantastic career so far. Uh, but what is some of the best advice you've actually received through your career, and why? At, at the risk of sounding um, cliche, you need to have a good support system. Right. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a great family. I have a great wife. I have, and we've enjoyed a, a long relationship with each other. I have a set of trusted advisors and people that I can talk to when I have questions. And, and that, that's another aspect of this is like, please do not assume you know everything, right? So yeah. I have people who I'm able to go and, and talk to and ask. I have hobbies in a life outside of work. So I, you know, when I'm working, I try to be 100% committed exactly in terms of what I'm doing. And that does mean that there are times when you do work-life balance where you're doing work in the night, you're doing work on the weekends. I'm not saying that there's a model or process for anyone in terms of doing that, but you need to have the balance between the two. And you have to understand that part of balance means that sometimes there's trade-offs between certain things. And that is not even a function of being in a leadership or executive role. That's mm -hmm a function of, of doing both. And I don't care what you do. You could be, I, I worked at McDonald's in college. So, you know, there are times where sometimes just getting the whatever done means that you bleed into and in in beyond the time that you have. But if it's important to get done and that represents something, then you have to get it done. So, you know, it's understanding support, having balance, understanding yourself and what your own worth is, making sure you have a system around it and then not getting too wrapped up in the, in the, what you are. Yeah. So I'm a junior AE, I'm a senior AE, I'm a senior enterprise, this AE, like you're, what you're really doing is you're stacking skills and experience. And I would say if you're in an environment, so there are people who work at a place for 20 years, you see that they're in the place for 20 years and it's the same role. I would say like, mm, yeah, probably not good. I've also seen other people and, and you see in the security space, maybe not 20 yeah. years, right? But you go through and they're like, oh, there are this and they're that. And you're like, wow, they have had a great career at that one company. They're, they've moved to different roles. They've had different responsibilities move around. You're like, wow, wherever they're working, they're learning tons of stuff, right? Yeah. And that's really, 
when you look at any any role that you're in, are you learning? Are you pushing? Are you growing? And if if you're not doing that, then I'd say that there's a challenge, right? At least certainly the way that I'm wired and the people that I I work with and the people that I tend to lean to is you need to be challenged. You need to have you know, more and better experiences. So that's, that's a combination, right? It's like your personal life, all those other things. You need to have personal life. You just can't be hundred percent consumed with work. Cause like what happens if work goes bad? And if you're totally consumed about work and work goes bad, well, what about your personal life? And then you need to balance those two out together. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I bet, um, like I say, especially in a leadership role and especially in a national leader role, it's quite hard to have that balance. Even hard to even have it, especially being, any sales role to present is actually to have that balance. Like you say, you can just keep working and working and working, just trying to make them deals and make as much commission and as possible. But you need to have that balance, especially, you know. So thank you for clearing that up. Um, now, final question. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Bradley. But for yeah, our listeners, if they could take any only one thing away from this episode, what piece of advice would that be? I would say the most straightforward thing is be honest with yourself mm -hmm. about what you want and what are you willing to do to achieve what you want. So it's really, really easy to say that I want to be the number one rep, but what are you going to do to get to that spot? And it's also okay that if you're not willing to do that, to don't, but then you as a person need to balance that. You can't say you want to be the number one and not put in the work. So, you know, yeah. maybe you're not. So I would say be honest with yourself and also continually evaluate. Maybe you're not willing to put in the work right now, but maybe a different set of circumstances, maybe a different set of things you would. And if you're honest with yourself and you understand what you want to achieve, then it becomes easy then to rank the same as evaluating new features with products or evaluating better customers. What's your ideal customer profile of you? What's what's at this stage right now, what's the ideal Connor profile and what's the ideal Bradley profile? If yeah. you figure that out and you do that and you continually go back and evaluate it, then that gives you better visibility. So if you're uh, really good in certain areas and you understand that about yourself, then it allows you to lean into those areas and maybe it allows you to either take more courses or seek mentors or other people where you can fill in those other gaps. But if you don't start with that, then it's it's gonna be challenging for you. And I'd say you're always gonna be frustrated around that. So it's okay to have gaps and it's okay not to have alignment. It's what you do with that information that I think is going to drive the difference around it. So that's what I would say. And if you take that and you can understand that for yourself, it allows you to then take that framework and extend it out to your company, to your team, to all those other aspects of it, right? It's really just doing that gap analysis. Sounds fancy. I think Sounds it really fancy, is just in, but it's, yeah, but it is, you know, but it's, I don't, I don't think it is, but if it was that easy, like everyone would do it, right. We'd be all so self-attuned that it'd just be, I get it. Right. Yeah. Said, yeah, no, I completely understand. A lot of people say they want a lot more, but don't do the work in. Like I say, if it was easy, anyone would do it. But yeah, nope, that makes total and, and sense. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't know how to do the work, right? So yeah. that could be part of it. Like I want to be step. the number one AE, but I don't know how. You know, yeah. Like okay, here's what you need to do. I I want to be chief product officer. I want to be the chief marketing officer. How do I get there? And then at that point, you seek out people, you develop those relationships, you get the mentorship. And through that process, you might realize like, I don't want to do this. And that's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
like I say, careers should never really be a straight line. People, when they're younger, they'd want to be everything. I want to be a PE teacher, and now I'm in recruitment in cybersecurity. I did not expect this when I was younger. You just kind of, life happens. And But yeah, like I say, you've got to, when you do find what you want to do, you just need to realistically seek advice and find the next steps. But no, Bradley, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much.